Thank you so much for tuning in to She's All Over the Place with Kiriaki. That's me. Thank you so much for joining us. Because of you, we're in the top 1.5% out of almost 4 million podcasts. I feel super blessed and excited to be sharing and caring one person at a time. Today, we're going to be talking about doctors, the healthcare system, and medication. Their own experiences. No right or wrong, just like kind of venting. And But we're not professionals. We're not doctors by any means. I've just struggled personally with this subject my whole entire existence when I was just trying to seek help. And um, it's, you know, we'll get into it um, and what we feel and what, you know, many people know about the healthcare system. But instead of saying silent and the more we share and raise our voices, we can see how we all, you know, can find situations that are similar to one another and in hopes, you know, to ease some things that we may know or not know. So with that being said, thank you so much for joining us. Nicole, how are you today? I'm doing amazing. Thank you. Happy to be here with your beautiful self and your yellow headband, my favorite color. It's your favorite color? Yeah, I have my yellow flowers here. Oh. <laughs> They're joyful. Yeah, yeah. My mom loves yellow flowers, which makes me think, reminds me like, I need to send my mom flowers. It's been a while. Her anniversary is coming up. It's World Poetry Day. So um, I'll definitely get her, her and my dad some yellow flowers. Good. Yeah. I'm actually going to be with them. I said, I'm taking y'all on a day. I'm taking them for their anniversary on World Poetry Day. I'm going to take them, you know, on a date, my mom and dad. So I already set it up. Yeah. That yeah. is awesome. I love that you're doing that. But I'll have to pick up some yellow flowers too. I'll send you a photo. Yes, please. Yeah, it'll be nice to go home to Detroit. I love, I always love going there. One reason in particular, because during the pandemic, I actually built a home studio in my walk-in closet and it's the finest studio I've ever built because doing voiceovers, I've built many studios. The one I have right now, ironically, like I have a voiceover studio in the, the hall across over there for recording voiceovers every day with, you know, the foams and everything and the shield. But for the podcast, it's so quiet here uh, with like a private view of a beautiful park. I'm just like, you know, I don't want to be in like, you know, just a black, you know, box, which is like the studio if you've seen prior podcast episodes. But it, the thing is, it's immaculate because there's the lawn and then behind me is a bedroom, then the, the other side's a bathroom, then you know what I mean? So it's like, there's no one next door. So it's soundproof. Like it's soundproof within the soundproof, even when you soundproof it because it's in a home, you know, you have so much more space. But yeah, even here though, I wanted to like, you know, show more of my personality, not just be like, so on like the face, like traditional podcasters and just make it like more fun. You know, like I'm into art, I'm into fashion, things of that nature. So I just, it was a part of my journey to like feel really good, you know, through the process of talking about Hollywood and NFTs, but specifically have this day to talk about stuff we don't normally talk about on social media or stuff we normally don't talk about at a dinner party, right? And so, you know, talk about self care and talk about injustices and things of like how we're feeling. So we can say, hey, I'm not feeling too good. So then it can shape shift to break up that energy so we can feel good. So with that being said, I'm very proud. I mean, it's, it's a work in progress, but it got my Oscar Wilde up, you know some Robert Frost poetry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
It looks amazing. Thank you. Yeah, so it'll be cool to go home and and the studio there is flawless. And I'm just really, really proud of that studio. And I did some great work out of there during the great reset of 2020. But diving like in, I just kind of want to just like go for it. Take a deep breath. Remember just to like slow down because I go so fast. And I remember you recently had me on your podcast anxious and ambitious podcast and I was listening to it and it was all like amazing valuable things but I was going so fast and I go really fast and it's one of my superpowers to be able to think that fast and go that fast yeah but then your superpower because it's not like everyone else you're always nagging at yourself being hard on yourself I can only speak for myself (laughs) or like it's not convenient for other people. So they make you feel like something's wrong with you or something's off. But actually, it's like it's one of your gifts. So they say, quote unquote, it's a double edged sword. But yeah, I have to remember to slow down because I loved being on your show. But I was like, I was listening to it and I was like, whoa. And like my sister talks really fast. And I know I go fast, but I was like really on one. I I was just so excited because it's it's such an empowering topic. And I just had so much to say. So I felt like, you know, like I was just excited to get it all out. And it's like a being a kid. You're just like, you're going so fast because you just want to get it all out. Like you don't want to miss the beat. So it's like, that, it's that feeling. So with that being said, I mean, just to give some brush strokes. In 2014, I saw my first therapist on my own, right? Someone I wasn't, you have to like want to go to therapy. You have to like want to go, right? It's like a whole thing. It definitely in like 2007, I had someone who supported me who was older, who wanted me to go. And I did go. I didn't pay for it, but I did go. And it was like after 50 minutes, it's like I had so much to say that I ended up having, I would do two sessions at a time instead of one session because I just had so much to say because you feel like you have to get it all out after keeping it in for so long. Anyways, that didn't last long. We only had a couple of sessions and that was like in 2007. Didn't didn't last long, had a couple of sessions. Good try. Wong, 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 whatever. But in 2014, I went and had a therapist. I also separately, when you do mental health, it's called with insurance, it's separate than a PCP or a dentist or that kind of doctor. It's a whole like different system and department, which was so confusing to me. I had no idea. So then you go and see like a therapist. And when you're seeing a therapist, that's one thing, behavioral therapy, talk therapy. But then there's like a whole nother area where it's psychiatry, where the shorter sessions, you know, they look at symptoms and they diagnose things and they like put you on something. So I definitely remember seeing my first psychiatrist ever ever in my life um, in 2014. And when I was going through my insurance in California, I picked Beverly Hills. I'm like, you know, if I'm going to go to like a doctor, I want like a Beverly Hills doctor. I want to wear all these like fancy people are going to, you know, like that. Like I want like to be a 90210 area code. So I go and let me tell you, because that's like a safety thing, right? You think you're being smart. You're not going to go to like to an area that's not safe for a doctor. You're going to go somewhere that's has a nice reputation. So I go there. She's late. She comes back from a break. She's eating Subway. Processed Subway food with the Diet Coke. And at this point, I didn't, I don't think I drank Coca-Cola, but I was very aware of like what it does to you. Although I love Coca-Cola. But anyways, that's another story. But I'm like, I'm like, but I'm very attuned and aware of like what I put on my body. And I started practicing minimalism in 2012. And I'm like, ew. Like, I was like, I'm not, how am I going to listen to this woman about what I should put into my body when like she puts high processed food, low quality food in 
if that's what you even call it, from a subway in Beverly freaking Hills. Like, no. So within 15 minutes of right, knowing me, she writes this prescription for Prozac, right? And that book came out, the Prozac book. It did very well. I still need to listen to it on audio. I think I tried listening to it years ago and I just couldn't get through it all. But with that being said, I didn't take it. And then I went on to see, a, I saw like five other psychiatrists took me a long time. I wanted to get different opinions, right? Different opinions. I can go into what they said or not right now, but I kind of just want to give you a through line of like my start process and then kind of like jump to today and then, you know, kind of go through it. I definitely remember in 2018, I went to a neurologist past a psychiatrist. I wanted to check my blood flow and MRI and EEG. Like I wanted, they did like seven different tests on me where they put patches on my brain. They tested my brain, my cranial sacral, my heart, my chest, like all of those things. They're like, your blood flow is good. Your oxygen's good. Everything's normal. You're super healthy. It's not anything like that. It's not nothing neurological that they said, you know, they said it's definitely it would be with a psychiatrist for like prescribed medication, maybe like PTSD, trauma, things of that nature. So I did go get my brain checked out, like thoroughly checked out. That was in 2018. I know where the place is so I can get the records because moving forward to today, someone did ask me like, oh, like, have you ever been like checked out, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, yeah, I definitely got my brain checked out in 2018 to see what's going on. But I didn't communicate then, which I'll communicate now now that I just told some friends less than a week ago, because I've never really shared this with anyone, but I actually had an experience and I had to go to the hospital when I was in LA just like three, four months ago. I was with my sister at her house and something happened and I like passed out and she said I full on like blacked out. And so it could have been like anxiety and I passed out. Uh, my sister said the way I was like convulsing and stuff, it was like almost like I had a seizure, which brought me back to what I'm about to tell you now. And I've been focusing on and doing a lot of more study on it and stuff. But I was just reading this book um, by Terrence McKenna. It's a weekend course that he did in New York City in the 90s. And the, the course is a green title. It's an audiobook that you can listen to for free on Libby. If you download the app and you have the, you know, a library card, you can download up to 30 audiobooks per month for free. He did this course and I was listening and he talks about, you know, psilocybin and the healing mechanisms of mushrooms and shamanic ceremonies and how people would go to the jungle and meet up with these shamans to have these experiences. Now, the one thing was this, he said, and I screenshot and everything, and he doesn't go into it. But he said, the, unless the person was born with epilepsy, or they had seizures, then they were separate, they were different, they were labeled as sensitives as sensitives. And then he did not go into that. I wish like he was alive or there's like just a study on that only because that's that's like the crux of like opening up a whole new informational thing. So I have been studying more on seizures and epilepsy. You know, I have heard about like, you know, ceremonies and, you know, things of that nature and how like, you know, they say blah, blah, blah. If you know, you got to be careful when you do certain things if you know, because there's that just unknown aspect all the time that you don't know. So with that being said, I always knew I was an empath. I didn't know the language when I was a kid. I always knew I was an HSP, a highly sensitive person, 16 to 20% of the population are HSPs. I didn't know that language. So I knew I was sensitive with like my nervous system, how I hear things, how I react to things. I feel it more deeply. Like I'm an empath, like I take on certain energies. My centers are open. That's like a whole nother podcast. But um, so I am a sensitive. And so I get it. And so 
so but now it's just like a understanding so what happened was until I was three, from when I was born till I was three, I would get seizures all the time. And I was always going to the hospital. My mom was always taking me to the hospital. She was worried. Imagine being a baby. Imagine being like a mom. And she was like a kid having a kid. They were teenagers still, right? They were taking me to the hospital. And then when I was three, it just like stopped. Sometime when I was three, it just stopped. But that has a lot of like my makeup of who I am and like how I was brought into the world, like a neurological level of how I was with my mom and her belly you know, being traumatized, like, you know, going to a hospital being like having things touch me as like, and I'm a baby, the language of people touching me and my nervous system and feeling things. And I was having these seizures. That's just like a boatload. So I just think I'll just take a breather and just like talk before we dive deep into anything else. But like, yeah, I mean, like, it's cool to be able to, you know, share that with you. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And I mean, I can relate. It's been a lifelong journey for me. Um, I did like you, I'm an empath. And I did not know what an empath even was for the majority of my life. And I was just wondering, what's wrong with me? Why do I feel all these things that other people don't seem to be feeling? Why are why my, are my reactions, right? My emotional reactions so much larger than a lot of other people. And so I think at age 12, maybe 13, I saw my first psychiatrist because it was getting out of hand. So I went at a really young age, my mom took me and I was diagnosed with all sorts of different things from OCD to generalized anxiety disorder, depression. I was told I might potentially be um, schizophrenic when I got older because I was also hearing voices. And I was, you know, I was a little bit spiritually open, I guess you could say. I was actually hearing from spirits and, you know, talking with my dead grandpa, experiencing, feeling things from other people in these ways that are not understood, never mind talked about in the medical system. So instead, they're like, here voices, you know, you're probably going to be schizophrenic. Yeah. So almost right off the bat, they were putting me on meds. I loved uh, so many of the things you just said. And yeah, like during that time, they put a label on it, they say this, and then they just like cover it up with the bandaid, right? So that's one. Two, you say like, you were saying what's wrong with me. And so that's what we do. We think something's wrong with us. And then we don't have healthy communicators in our lives, even in the healthcare system to take you over to the side. Because I know when you go to like CVS, and you pick something up, there's this long thing that no one reads. Um, and it says like the doctor, you have to sign off that the pharmacy explained it to you. And half the time they don't, right? I mean, it could be like a cream or something. And like some have been like, okay, like take it two times a day. And but some have been like, you just like sign it and just like be on your way. So it's like there wasn't someone especially being that young to like sit you down and be like, you know, this is interesting that you can't say, oh, this is normal, because obviously it's not normal. But what is normal? Like what are social norms and like things that are normal? Normal. And it's like, that's like a whole nother topic. But yeah, to just say, to be the through line of what you're saying, they give you a, a diagnosis, and then you're like on this journey. How was that for you? And were you able just to take it and just start taking it every day? Like, how long did it last? And did it work? Was it the right one for you? Because you hear it's like, you know, like,
like a relationship, you have to test one. It might not work. It takes 30 days to kick in. And then you have to like, you know, might have to go to another one. Like, were you lucky? Did it work for you? Like, how did, how was it for you? How was your experience? Yeah, that's a good question. And so, I mean, even just going back to that idea of feeling broken, that's how I felt. And so I was like, there must be something that's wrong with my brain. So these medications are going to give me are going to rebalance things in there. And all of a sudden, like, I almost felt like a snap one day, I'm going to wake up and it's just going to be gone. I'm not going to have these racing thoughts. I'm not going to have these overwhelming feelings in my body. And it didn't exactly work that way. So they put me on Zoloft. I was on Ativan for when I was having panic attacks. And then I also was taking something called Ketiapine, also known as like Seroquel, which is an antipsychotic, because like I said, they thought that I was going to be schizophrenic. I was hearing these voices. So they wanted to essentially numb that out. And so I kept... Oh, right. So they want to numb it out because they're scared of it. They don't know. Yeah. They numb it out. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So if they don't understand it, they usually just numb it out. At least that was my experience. And I remember every time I would go, I would just be like, I'm still not feeling better. And they would just up my dose, up my dose, up my dose to the point where I was at a very high dose. Like they give this medication to people who are, I've worked in long-term care centers. So they oftentimes give it to patients who are having hallucinations, having psychotic experiences. And they're on like a quarter or maybe like less than the dose that I was on. And you were how young? And I was 14 by the time it got up that high, probably, right? I was still like under 16. And the, you know, I I, I don't really say... I don't think that it helped me that much. Maybe it helped to just calm me down a little bit because I was literally sedated on these drugs. But I found that I stopped enjoying the things that I used to love as much as well. So it almost just numbed me out completely. Of course, it in a way, it helped with the anxiety because I was more sedated, but it also stopped me from experiencing those good, positive emotions to the same level. Yeah, I feel you. Totally feel all you. Thanks for sharing all that. A couple things come to mind. We'll see if I remember them all because I was just like really listening, you know, and feeling what you're saying. But the one thing I will say that comes to my mind when you were talking twice is they'll give you one thing and they're like, oh, you're going to take this and then you're going to take this other thing to like come down off this thing. Like you're going to, and then this is this to help you, but then you have to take this other thing because this, the first one we gave you, it's going to make your heart do something. So then you have to take this thing for your heart. And by the way, like your insurance doesn't cover that and you have to pay for it. And it's like, wait a minute, I, I, can't, I can't take one pill. I cannot, I cannot take one pill. Now you're telling me to take two and then you're telling me to pay for it. I'm like, I'm not doing it. It is not happening. I am not doing it. It is not happening. So were you on like three at a time you mentioned at the same time? Yeah. Exactly. So the one, I mean, it was just for emergencies, right? Like if I was actually having a panic attack, then I could take it like a sublingual pill. The Ativan. The Ativan. Yeah. But the other two, I was on them at the same time. So when I was growing up, I was traveling all around the world and I had 0.5 Ativan. So it's like a knockoff of the Xanax. 0.5, very, very low dose. I would only take it if I needed it, because I only do direct flights. Like I, I will, you know, look at the weather before I fly. I, even though you go above the clouds, I don't like flying when there's like rain or thunderstorms. Like I will avoid. I know Dallas always has delays, always has bad weather. I never go through Atlanta. It's the busiest airport like in the world. I think it's like the busiest one for business. I'll just avoid certain airports. I'll avoid connections because I can't do the up, down, up, down twice, like four times total. It's like too much. I just like a one shot. Gonna go up, gonna go there, gonna be done. Or I'll 
I'll go like um, at night on a red eye. So I feel like a like a like a like a Jedi where I'm like not wasting time or day or it's I can just sleep on the planes. I have no problem. I have no problem sleeping on the plane. I'm able to talk to myself in such a way and get myself to an area where I can just like go to sleep immediately. So normally I never have any issues going to sleep except for this year in particular, though, actually, because I'm reacclimating and dismantling like my whole entire existence up until this point because I'm starting afresh. So it's like I have this new canvas. So I have like this new spouts of energies in a different way because I'm excited. But I'm like not able to sleep because I'm so excited. So I'm like, but no one's going to tell me, oh, you're not a good girl or you're a bad girl for not going to sleep or something's wrong with me. I'm like, no, I need to nurture myself. Like, it's okay. I'm aware of it. I'm home. I'm in my safe. I'm having my minerals. I'm drinking. I'm having bananas. Like I'm eating protein. Like I'm doing what I need to do. Like I'm being gentle. I'm reading. I'm educating. I'm enjoying this. Like, you know, like, because that flight and fight is so real and that panic and just being hardwired to go, go, go. And I've been, my mom says I've been running ever since I got out of the womb. I would just been like on the go. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, this is my first time where I'm just like stopping and being still. And so many of my friends told me like, be still, like be still. And it's been so hard. That's why when I said at the beginning of the conversation, like I talk really fast with my mouth, like imagine my body, my energy. And that's one of the things people love about me is like my energy, you know, like da 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 that energy, but also I have to make sure I'm preserving that energy. And I'm aware and I did have an experience. I don't know if I'll talk about it on this episode or another, but I had an experience of burnout, like I experienced it for the very first time. So we can go in depth later about that. But I want to say focus on uh, the the medications. Um, how long were you on those medications? And then when did you stop or transition? And like, what did you do? Yeah, that's a great question. And so for me, I was on Zoloft, which is an anti-anxiety medication for, mm, I want to say like six years or so. And then I ended up weaning off of that one. I found that it just wasn't really helping me. And so I decided that I would just stick with the antipsychotics, which at the time I was taking at night. Mm -hmm. Is the Zoloft, the one you just mentioned, is that for depression? Um, I think it can also be used to treat depression. I had anxiety and depression, but I think it's mostly an anxiety med. Really? Like I said, I'm not a doctor. Me either. But I think that's what I was told. <laughs> no, because like, um, like, you know, they give you they give you the, you know, the off brands or whatever. So the one you're talking about, I think the one you're talking about, they gave me citrulline, right? To like, yeah, it was like, I think it, the I think it's they think I could I think it was a Z. I think the Zoloft, they said, we should probably fact check this. But can you Google it real quick? Yeah. We're like Joe Rogan over here. Can you Google it right here? Uh, citrulline and it'll say like if it's the sister drug off brand of Zoloft that you just mentioned because it helps with anxiety, but it helps with uh, like a mood stabilizer. So you're not so low citrulline. Yeah, I see some stuff on citrulline. Yeah. So it says Zoloft in brackets, sertraline. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. Same, same thing. So it, it treats, like you said, uh, the depression and the anxiety. Okay. Yeah, it's an SSRI antidepressant. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you're right. It is more of a considered an antidepressant according to this website. Okay, so can so th thank you. I just, you know, the specificities are important, especially when people are confused. Yeah. Because it gets confusing and overwhelming. And you just don't know. So oh gosh, it's like yeah. people just like keep going. It's like, okay, so I want to like talk about, you know, all right, just stop along the way. Okay, go ahead. Please continue. Yeah, no, it gets so confusing. And so with the Seroquel, I was taking it at night and it was helping me to sleep, right? Because it's an antipsychotic. So it would slow down my brain, turn off all of those racing anxious thoughts that would keep me up at night. 
night. And so I felt a little bit more reliant on that one once I kind of got used to it. So I was on that one for like, I think like a decade. I don't know the exact dates that I started, but... Tell me more about that. What is a racing thought for you? And what are some of those thoughts? Are they repeated thoughts? Are they different thoughts? Like, tell me more about those thoughts. And were you able to catch them when they were happening? When you took the medication, did it stop it immediately? Were they still there? Like, how was it for you? with these racing thoughts? And do you have them now? Yeah, so I, I mean, the racing thoughts was about all sorts of things. So I also had OCD. So sometimes it was about like the compulsions that I wanted to do thinking about how I wasn't able to do it earlier in the day, things like that would come up, but even just random thoughts. And my experience was if I closed my eyes, I would actually see all these different images coming in images of people images of random things, as well as just almost all of these different types of voices coming in. like you would like close your eyes and you would have a visual script of how like the TV scenario would turn out because you didn't get to this on time and this is what it could have looked like or it, different situations of how it could be done. Yeah. And I mean, for me, I think it, my anxiety confused my doctors because it was not really about something in specific. So it wasn't always like, okay, I have to do that thing tomorrow or, oh, I should have done that thing. It wasn't like always rational thoughts. It was just an overwhelming amount of thoughts and feelings. Yeah. So do they just say breathe more? <laughs> they honestly, nobody even really told me to breathe. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like a lot of the basic things, like make sure that your breath is proper, make sure that you're eating properly, exercising, none of that was mentioned to me. It was just, you have anxiety here, take this pill. Yeah, I mean, even if we're saying it right now and we say, oh, make sure you're eating properly. Like based on someone's circumstance of who they are, what they've been exposed to, where they live, that could be normal for them. Yeah. We are what we eat. Terrence McKenna actually has an audiobook called like Food of Gods. You know, so like the best is um things from the ground, like plant food, like greens, raw vegetables. So people who do have ADHD, I know. So like you say OCD. Mm -hmm. So I always irked it because I do not think of myself as a disorder or you. So like OC. So sometimes I'd be like, okay, OC, OC. Like I can be obsessive compulsive like in a way, but like we're not disorders, right? So it's like, that's the thing about self-infliction. Like what's wrong with me? You're like, oh, I have OCD. Like you're telling people like, oh, I have this disorder. Like, no. So it's like Caroline Mice, M-Y-S-S. She's a mystic intuitive from Chicago. She's amazing. She has 10 books on Overdrive and Libby. You can listen. It's her beautiful voice. She has one on Grace. It's an amazing book, but Channeling Grace, it's called. But she has a TED Talk too. It's a 20 minute TED Talk on choices and the power of the choice. And she talks about the power of the choice. And she also teaches that each word, it's its own universe, each word. So by going around and telling everyone like, oh, like, you know, you're OCD or she's OCD or that person, like we're saying like, oh, you're like walking around saying, oh, I have a disorder. I have a disorder. And I'm like, I have never identified with that. And I'm so, I'm a wordsmith. So I'm very into language and sound and vibrations and those words. So I didn't want to associate my identity because that's what happens. It, like we say something and then we start to believe it. It becomes a brainwash and then it becomes normal. Like you're like, wait, I was never into this, but then I acted like I was and then I kept doing it. And that's why if you're in unhealthy relationships and situations, you're like, that, your body has an, an intuitive hate. You're like, no, that's not me. That's not my vibe. But then it like gets put on to you or you don't want to, you know, you're, you don't want to make someone unhappy or I'm not strong within my own things. I maybe I, Maybe I'm wrong. What's wrong with me? maybe they're right. So you try it. And then it keeps 
keeps happening and then it becomes like the dysfunction becomes normal, right? And we start uh, associating it with our personality. And so Dr. Joe Dispenza, who's a neuroscientist, he says we have 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day. 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts. Like what are we thinking? How are we firing and wiring our synapses, right? What he says, it's like when something happens, like a tick for tat, we might be frustrated the emotion, we might be angry. And then like, let's say like, two, three days go on, then you're mad at your mom or your dad or your partner. And it becomes like a mood, like you're in a mood, like it's like you're like mad about something. And then it becomes like a mood a couple days later, then uh, then you're still that way. Then you look seven months later, seven years later, 13 years later, and it becomes a part of your character, right? The way you think the way you move the way that you are this thing that you never associated with or that got to you this emotion. And then we took a thought that turns into form that turns into matter turns into our character, which makes up our quote unquote identity. I won't get into details now, but I remember uh, I went through this process in 2019 around, I was able to sit with myself for a while and I was able to really comprehend and understand that and dismantle things that I hooked on in such a way that put so much pressure on the relationship that I was in at the time. Because I put so much pressure on that thing because I associated myself in such a way that was my character, although it didn't align with my spirit and who I am. And like you said, like being tuned into the source and like channeling and things like that. And the person who I am with at the time, a graceful, beautiful spirit and soul was very tapped into that, but was raised okay to be tapped into those things and followed it and like was into like rocks and like felt things through rocks and energies, like just being really earthy. And that's the way he was raised. And so that's why I like to be around him because he saw that within me and held space for me to bring out that side of me. But I was struck and attached to the psychosis of the character I had to then just sit with self to dismantle the thing that wasn't me that was actually causing detrimental things that kept me back from who I really wanted to be. And it was hard. Like you said earlier, like it was so hard just to like get it together to like put it together. It was it was really difficult. Yeah. Oh, I think that was beautifully put how you explained all of that and how it can actually lead into part of our identity. Because I felt the same way. And for a long time, I was like, I can't do that. I'm anxious or I'm feeling this way. Oh, I have anxiety. Right. And it almost becomes this reason you embody it when actually on a a recent episode on the anxious and ambitious podcast, my podcast, I was talking with one of my guests, she's done a bunch of research into ADHD and how most people with ADHD, their brains, you wouldn't be able to tell on a brain scan that their brain is different, that these diagnoses are really just a way of describing symptoms. And I think it's kind of funny because she mentioned, you know, you went to the doctor and you said, I have a itch on the back left of my throat or whatever. And they just said to you, oh, you have left throat itchiness or whatever. That's essentially what they're kind of doing with a diagnosis. If you look at the DSM, it's really just a way of explaining a set of symptoms. But then we embody this thing and we're like, this is me. This is what I have. This is some disordered part of me when really it's just like a way of explaining what you're experiencing. Yeah. So I want to circle back around on the food. I want to circle back around on um, the other thing that you just mentioned that's really important and the diagnosis and 
and uh, symptoms. And then also I want to just touch upon what you just said about this one other thing that came up. So many good things are just coming up. I'm just like, oh, yeah. Lastly, about the identification. So that's why it's so important. Like, oh, I have anxiety. I have this. Like one of my podcast mentors, like my podcast is called She's All Over the Place. And I'm looking not to be all over the place. Like, and he asked, like, have you thought about changing the name of your podcast? Anxious and anxiety podcast. Interesting. Like it doesn't have any inflictions of my on there, but it's a subject that's it's a great topic because a lot of people can relate to it. And so I think it's probably awesome with the guests that you have on and who you are and being a seeker and you get to learn and share your experience of what you've gone through. So it's, you know, healthy in a way, but the person tuning in and watching, it's like, like my music partner went by like something Liss, like it went by Nick Liss and he changed it. Nick Liss is like associated with like not having money, like, you know, like having less, right? So the thing is, attention of what we're saying, how we're saying it, what we're not saying, what we're communicating, what we're listening to. Alejandro Younger, he's amazing. He has a book called Clean. He's from Uruguay. Um, he's New York best time seller. He's amazing. He talks about physical toxins, environmental toxins, but he also talks about quantum detoxification in chapter 12 of his book. And it's my personal favorite topic because you cannot be with someone but it's in your head like you're attached to them I won't get into too many details but and I remember it was like uh, 2017 it was the holidays I had eight days all to myself it was amazing I didn't go home I was working nonstop. my partner went to visit his family so I was able just to be by myself which I really wanted to I was in a DJ music program and I and for fun like you know it was fun for like one of the kids in the class to come over and us like work on some music stuff together and I was I listened to a bunch of audiobooks but I remember before he came over I was at my DJ controller and I sat with myself and I wrote a list of who gives me that feeling inside that I don't want to have. And I feel like I have to have a conversation with them. I feel like I have to deal with their stuff of their projection onto me, how how it makes me feel just to make it very simple. Like, I don't want to think about these people going into 2018, right? And I had these two people, I won't say their names, I had these two people. And it's funny, one of the persons I just mentioned called me 15 minutes later. I'm like, hello, she was drunk. She's like, you didn't book out. You're here. What are you doing? Come into the agency. I'm like, it's a holiday. Yeah, the agents are here working. She was so miserable and upset around the holidays. It's a very lonely time for a lot of people. And she was drunk, but she was abrasive and she was mean. I went and I allowed myself to be spoken to that way by her. Why? Because I knew her for 10 years. One, I gave an excuse. I've known this person. They're my friend family. I'm related to them. They've made me, you know, $60,000, $70,000 a year for the last X amount of years. Like they give me money. They provide, you know, so many things so I can like live a nice life. Like you have all these excuses, right? Of like why we allow and tolerate this kind of behavior. And she went to this alcoholic clinic a few times that I, I knew about, um, you know, through the years paid to go and stuff. And so she would always, you know, For years, I was like, you know, one of her favorite models in the agency. She didn't have kids. So like her favorite models were like her kids, right? And so like we would go to like Neiman Marcus and she would always like give me beautiful gifts for holidays and my birthdays and things like that. And we would always go for meals and I loved it. You know, I loved going for meals with her. I would love going and having these beautiful, she was just so like, you know, I just loved everything aesthetically about it. Like, you know, her company, the way, you know, she felt about me, the way I felt about her. We were both independent and, you know, like, 
like she was well educated and she was an athlete like I was. We had so many things in common. So when I was a kid, I looked up to this woman who lived in Beverly Hills, who went to like this, you know, Ivy League school, who was like a, a world champion. And I looked up to her. And that was like my journey looking up to her. Then I traveled the world. Then I went to New York. Then I came back and we were still like friends working together. But I'm not like, you know, it's like, you know, X amount of years later, right? And we're going for lunches and dinners. And long story short, she would go to the bar. She would order order only a, um, a soda pop at the at the table with me. Then she would excuse herself, go to the bar, get a half a thing of clear liquid, bring it back, and then she would put the put the soda pop in it. And so I knew what she was doing. Like I'm smart. Like maybe like half the people like wouldn't know, but like I knew what she was doing. But I sat there in silence and I allowed the abuse and I I allowed myself to not utilize my voice and to open up, although I felt guilty and not write about it and I didn't like it at all. She wasn't driving. I was driving her. I wasn't drinking. I was driving like her or she would be in an Uber, but I drove her. But the point is I would sit at those lunches and dinners and I would turn a blind eye and I would allow that behavior. And if you are my actual friend, if you are actually someone I care about, I'm not going to sit there and allow that to happen on my watch. Like it's it's not going to happen. It shows what kind of person I am. Like I'm not being a true friend to you. Like how can you sit there and allow that to happen? So that's one. So moving forward from what I just shared with you to give you some context, when she called me that night after I wrote my list a few minutes later, called me drunk at the agency and said what she said, I called her out because what happened was I was able to slow down because normally, you know, LA, New York, you're hustle bustle, you're going everywhere so fast, but I was able to slow down and I was in a state of healing and nurturing and enjoying life and the spirit, the kinship of, you know, the, the holidays and everything and just like resetting. And she spoke to me in such a way and I spoke up to her and I say, you will not speak to me like that again. And I'm like, you know, my mom doesn't speak to me that way. My sisters do not speak to me that way. My friends do not speak to me that way. I go, I cannot be spoken to that way. So, and she kept going on. I hung up the phone and then she called me. She's like, did you hang up the phone? I could have, I could have not picked up. I could have said my phone died. I could have said anything, but I did pick up the phone and I told her I'm not going to be spoken to that way. And then I hung up the phone again. I ended up working with the agency for like six months more and um, didn't deal with her, dealt with the, the booker who booked me on jobs. And then my last two jobs, I just wasn't paid. FYI, one job I wasn't paid, Dre Beats. Dre, I did a, a print modeling campaign for Dre, Dre Beats, never was paid. And then this other one, um, Tropicana, that was a union project. She took money because she had the uh, authorization to take money out and then gave me the money. She took money out of my account, which I did not approve. And that was a union job. That was through SAG. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> or medium, you know, with that being said, I didn't in conclusion to like the story here and where I was and where I was growing through. And this was clearly before I started my podcast. And this is clearly before last season, which was um, the Women Empowerment Series, which is one of the reasons why going on a Women Empowerment Series, exploring divine femininity and all these intricacies of what we're sharing right now and caring and listening to. But listen to this. I reflected and I said, listen, I get 30 to 60 jobs a year, which is anywhere from 33,000 to 60,000 a year of just one of my revenues of how I make money, right? And I'm like, and so I was allowing that based on my root chakra, 
of security-based root financial money. So a lot of times we allow certain behaviors that are unhealthy for us or that we don't like or suck it up or eat it up. And there's that fine balance of how much we take and don't take. And there's that, all those lines. But I chose, you know what? I told, I talked to God. I talked to the universe. I said, instead of me running around and doing 30 to 60 jobs a year, because every everything has its moment. Like I did it and I did it for so many years and I'm grateful. Nothing lasts forever. You transition, you move on. When it's good, it's good. It's cool. It's all awesome. But did I want to do that kind of modeling for the rest of my life? Like I really wanted to scale and move up. So I told myself, I said, you know what? By honoring myself and not allowing divine femininity, another female to treat me that way, because when we allow the five closest people, how they treat us is how we allow the almost 8 million people in the world to treat us, male and female of all energies. That's another podcast. But to stay in conclusion here, I thought, you know what? I'm going to dismantle and remove this energy because she was on my top five. I'm going to remove this top five because if you look at like five canvases, that's a drunken, cloudy canvas and it's taking up so much rent and so much thought in my brain, right? I'm like, I'm removing this and dismantling this so I don't tolerate this because I'm it's keeping me low. It's keeping me feeling low. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to dismantle it and I'm going to remove it and love it from a distance and, you know, be in gratitude for the memories and not shame and blame and know everyone's on their own journey and everyone was doing their best. But I I need to do what's best for me. And I need to like support and be able to talk to you as I'm talking now because I, you know, I am the way that I am, but say no, right. And like move through it. And it's difficult to do. But I'm like, you know what, instead of running around doing 30 to 60 jobs per year to make excellent, like, you know, 30 to 70 grand, I'm showing God in the universe, my self esteem, my worth, who I am, how I feel, I'm removing these unhealthy relationships that it's there's going to be a slow period where I'm going to take a hit and I did. And I'm going to take a hit and I did and I ended up moving and I ended up, you know, traveling the world and then going to New York and then restarting in New York and I didn't have those the avenue of funds that was there. But I knew that was going to happen. And I even told my CPA, I'm like, you know, this whole thing, I knew it's going to happen. But what's going to happen for the long term, for the long term, for long haul, I'm going to get a call and in one job, I'm going to make thirty to $60,000 in one job because my value is so high and I know my worth and I know what I offer. And instead of running around doing these peanut jobs for $1,000, $3,000, which is a lot of money still, you know, but I'm going to be able to like do one or two jobs and, and receive that kind of income. That's the confidence and the grace that I'm going for and who I am and what I stand for. And sometimes you can't, even though I explain it here, sometimes you can't communicate that to other people because they have their own stuff going on. But you have to listen to that intuitive hit in your nature and your nurture of what is good for the individual for every situation because it's all unique. It's never the same. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so proud of you for being able to stand up for yourself that way and say like, you know, draw that boundary. No, no, you can't speak to me this way because a lot of the time we we have a hard time saying no to things, even if it's completely draining our energy or being taxing on our mental health, right? Especially once you've gotten comfortable with it, whether it be a person or a job or I don't know, a hobby, right? We love to stay in that comfort zone. So I think that's huge of you for stepping out of that. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I know you were just being such a great listener, but if we were to explore something you've grown through, do you see yourself? Did you like make a choice to dismantle? Were you aware something was good for you and you allowed it? Or were you aware something wasn't good for you and you stopped it? Like what are that? And then what are some tools that you utilize now to keep away when you see those red flags? Hmm. Those are some good questions. I guess, you know, what comes to mind for me is when it comes to understanding what was not serving me at a certain point, like even bringing it back to the medication, 
I learned that this medication isn't serving me anymore. And so I actually went to my doctor and I was like, I feel like this is numbing me out. I'm tired all day. I could have literally slept like 24 hours. <laughs> like I was always tired. Yep. And I said, so what's the plan? Like, when am I going to get off this thing? And he said to me, well, a lot of people, they're on that their whole life, you know, and there was no plan. Could you have told me that before you put me on the medication? Like, do, do they like forget that whole thing? Just like they don't give you that side conversation about like preparing you. Like there's nothing wrong with you. Like yeah. it's a part of life. Like talk so you're not inflicting like what's wrong with you. Like wasn't there any context of information that like, oh, just by the way, you're going to possibly be on this your whole freaking life. They just like leave that part out. Yeah, no, not at all. They just they just left that part out. When I looked into the drug further, one of the there's contraindications indications to different medications, right? Some of them you can't drink on, some of them you can't eat certain things or whatever. This one, it's contraindicative to pregnancy. So you cannot be pregnant on this drug. So I said, so now not only are you dictating my medical future without allowing me any input, but now you're dictating if I'm even able to have children. And so at that point, that's when I officially drew the line of like, no, I'm not accepting this. I'm not just accepting a plan that someone else made for me. I need to take agency over my own mental health. See, there you go. And then how... What age were you when that happened, when you were actually thinking about that? Like, you know? Yeah, I mean, so I was in university at the time. I probably would have been, I think I was like 20-ish when I went off of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it was, a, it was a tough decision because you want to just listen to, you know, these are doctors. They've learned about these things. They know what's best for me. But at a certain point, I was like, I need to take control of this on my own. Yeah. And so I sought out other ways of healing myself. And yeah, I think when you take back that agency, that's that's really powerful. Yeah. And speaking of, I love holistic healers. I love uh, neuroscientists. My sister, I mentioned Dr. Joe Dispenza. I love Dr. Greg Braden. It's Greg with two Gs, Braden, B-R-A-D-E-N. Dr. Huberman, Andrew Huberman's amazing. Um, they all have YouTube's videos, they all have podcasts, like it's all this wealth of information that's there for free. So um, the person tuning in definitely like, uh, listen to them, tune into them health is wealth It's the best education. A lot of them have books, you can read them or listen to the audio, you know, Joe Dispenza, I think he has like a monthly thing where you pay like X amount of dollars, like $10 a month or something. I don't think I don't I saw it a while ago, I need to like recheck into it. But I think you can ask questions. And then he gets to the questions like once a month and like ask like, you know, kind of like simple questions that people may have, I think. So there's different communities and people who definitely do that, even though they're not like Joe Dispenza and Dr. Greg Braden, but those are like the creme de la creme, like top neuroscientists in the world. And you know what all the neuroscientists have been saying for the last like five years now is what Dr. Joe Dispenza has been saying for over two decades, you know, and then... Yeah. You know, my sister is an intuitive coach and deals with homeostasis, mitigation, things of that nature. And so if you're interested in uh, connecting with my sister on Zoom, Anna is her name, just, you know, there's the link below, just go to contact and put um, Anna, A-N-N-A, -N -N -A, and I can personally introduce you to her. So you can like have a Zoom session, you can be anywhere in the world. And so she can like help you and get you on a right plan. And a lot of that is holistically like feng shui in your home. And like, if there's dust particles, 
candles and how much sun you're getting in the, in the day, like the kind of lights that are in your home and, you know, the workout mentality and things of that nature and like what we're eating and supplements and minerals and liquids. So uh, she got me on this stuff. It's called Healthy Cell. I love it. Have you tried it? No. Oh, yeah. So there's this one for focus. I forgot to do it today. But um, I've been doing it every day since I got it, except for today. It's minerals and it has like GABA and things to help you focus, like all the good things that the scientists say. And then there's one like called Realm Sleep, where it gives you the nutrients and the minerals and not the jitters or anything like that when you're doing the focus, but when you're sleeping. So you have like a deep, deep, restful sleep and you like wake up without the grogginess, without feeling like heavy. Because a lot of people, when they take melatonin, they take like a five milligram or a 10 milligram or 20 milligram. And the thing is, you're only supposed to have like 0.05 milligram of melatonin, actually, because you only have one melatonin receptor in your brain. And so what happens is when people take too much melatonin, and they wake up knocked out like KO box, or like they felt like they were out partying and drinking, it's because you literally knocked over your only melatonin receptor, you know, so you need to like take only like 0.03 or 0.05 or something. And then um, and then it activates your own melatonin, right? So that's like a whole nother podcast. But yeah, definitely uh, talk to Anna. Um, I really didn't even get into what I was going to talk to about like what just happened just like yesterday. So I don't know if I should just kind of jump into that. This episode will kind of be long or I think we could probably do that or save it for another episode. Uh, How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm actually curious to hear what happened. So if you're open to sharing now, I'd love to hear. Okay. So what happened was um, this. In December, I've been um, having this psychiatrist for, I don't know, like six or eight months or whatever. And she was cool. She was awesome. It was awesome. And, you know, we were talking about medication, but she didn't put me on anything right away. We were just like talking and stuff. And because like anything anyone's ever prescribed to me before, I haven't been able to take. My body just rejects it. Literally, like I did the citrulline for two days and I just couldn't do it. And the other thing that they sent, I haven't been able to do it. I did the amoxetin. I did do the amoxetin, which is... um it makes you focus better. But it gave you that jittery and I forget to eat. And so then I would feel like uh, my heart is racing and I feel like I'm going to like spin out like and they were saying, Oh, yeah, like, you know, if you having thoughts and you have to go to the the hospital and she kept saying that and I was like, that was like really scary for like someone to say. But anyway, um, I, I took I did take that one for like five days, the lowest milligram is 10 milligrams the very lowest one and you can't break it because it's like a capsule. So anyway, maybe I should have did it like every other day. But anyway, so and I was even thinking about like trying it again. But then I just got the healthy cell to be natural and to stay focused because that's like my thing. I have so many things going on, like staying focused, like that's like the hardest thing, right? For me personally. So anyways, um, I have all the amoxetin here. I just, you know, like I said, I have like 10 or 15 bottles of stuff that I've just never taken that are just here. I should just throw them out. I kind of wanted to like have an episode like this and just like show like to show like they just like give it to you like candy they just like give you all this stuff like those like oh this put you on this put you. I'm like yo like and I'm like not taking it like I'm just I'm just always been very holistic so so with that being said I did connect with this woman who was a great uh I thought she was great younger very advanced um that like that I've you know recently saw for like last six to eight months and uh she in December told me like she's leaving you know the place and I was gonna be assigned someone new which is like a breakup. You know what I mean? It's like, it's essentially a breakup. Because it took me so long to like finally try something that she gave me um, Lexapro for depression because I like faced myself and I'm like, 
yeah, I'm sad. Like I've always been so busy. Like one of the reasons why my podcast is called She's All Over the Place, I pride myself in being so busy. And a lot of people are so busy so they can stay numb and not deal with the stuff that's going on inside. And I've known that for years, but then I continue to do it. It's like a cycle. So now I'm like in my condo and I'm like, okay, I'm at the age now where it's like, I'm going to, I want to face this. I want, and even before when I wanted to face it, my ex-partner was there. And it's like, even when I wanted to face it, you think you're facing it in a whole new way. Anyway. So I was like, I'm going to face this. I'm going to face this. And I'm like, I was crying a lot. And I thought it was fine that I was crying because I was like, I'm being raw and real and vulnerable. But then I'm like, I am actually crying a lot. Like on podcasts, I'm like crying a lot. (laughs) And I'm sad. I'm not to where I thought I was going to go to that I was going to be. I know I'm the comeback queen and I'm, it's a whole dynamic and I'm doing things in a whole new way. And I knew I was going to go through that experience that I went through with my music partner for that journey for, you know, for 10 years from 2012 to 2022. And that I knew when I was going into it, what it was, then the experience throughout, I didn't know clearly. And then at the end of it, I wrote a book called The Actor. And it was like, I knew when I remember to remember I was going in like a scientist. And I remember to remember I was exploring emotions. And I also remember to remember that it wasn't my identity. It's not who I was. Because I when I was so in it, I'm like, Oh, my God, what have I become? Like, I'm like, Oh, you went on you made this choice to explore these things. These aren't who you are, you can dismantle everything and go into another direction and be who you really are. But I had so much bravery and courage to go explore these things, which is like a whole nother podcast. But in conclusion, it was because I was stuck. And it's called the actor of the book. And we can get into that another time. But it's about, you know, that 10 year journey and what I went through to make me a better human, more compassion and make me a better actor because I was like hitting a wall in my career where I wasn't getting these certain roles because I needed intimacy, intimacy, Susan Batson, B-A-T-S-O-N. She talks about intimacy. So I went through this journey of intimacy and real stuff to like, you know, be where I am now, sharing what I am now, coaching people how I am and putting into my craft. So nothing goes wasted, right? So with that being said, I'm in December, 2022. I say, I'm going to do it. I I say, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And uh, this is November, 2022. I say, I'm going to do it. And then after our Basel, first week of December, I uh, start taking the Lexapro. And I did it for 32 days. First time I've ever taken that medication in my life. It was like the lowest dose, 0.5. After the first month, she wanted to up my thing. She was eager. She was like ready to up it. I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. Let's just keep it here. Let's go for another month, see how it goes. And then after that, because she says, yo, your body becomes so like like aware of it, used to it. You need to up it. Let me just see what happens. So I'm in my condo in New York and then I booked this like big time acting job, which is awesome. It's not announced yet, so I can't talk about it. But um, then I go to LA and I purposely choose to kind of like disassociate and not react in such a way because I don't want to trigger my sister. But she knows me. She's my sister. And she said, you're like this. You're like a zombie, like numb. She's yeah. She's like, you're just disassociated with. Right. I was a little bit triggered, but I was also just like listening to her and I reflected and I and then and then I came back to New York um, in January 2023 with the new therapist and I see this new therapist. I only saw her twice. So here's the update of the story. So I see this new therapist and I tell her what I just told you. I did it for 32 days. My body felt like jittery, not jittery, but just like I felt like bzzz. I'm like, yo, this is too much. My body's not used to taking something for 32 days in a row. Like my body's re- rejecting it. I'm a sensitive. So I didn't take it for like five days. And then, you know, then I was like taking, then I decided to take it again, you know, which is very tricky when you're not supposed to like take then not take, but I was on the lowest dose. So it's like, it's different when you're like, you're not supposed to like, you know, if you forget, you take it. But she explained to me that it's in your system for 20 
24 hours and then it's done. This one in particular, but I wasn't like on a high 50 milligram or 25 milligram or 15 or 10 or whatever. I was on the very lowest. So if you're going to stop taking something, it's like at the at the lowest one. So because I am very educated and mindful of that. And it's an, it's very important. And it could be very detrimental for someone who's on multiple medications or on a high dose to like wheeze your way off of it. Not a doctor, just what I've been told and being precautious. So she's like, oh, so what did Dr. Blah, blah, blah say you have? And I told her and I'm like, well, this is the one, one of the things I liked about her. And it relates to what you were saying earlier, because she's like, they don't label it and say, you have this, you have this, you have this, you have this. It's they look at like what's going on and then they try something in that approach. And she was younger. So I was like, oh, cool. They got like cool, hip, young doctors who are educated, who are looking at medicine in a new way. And she's like, you're creative, you're an artist. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, yeah, well, you definitely should not be doing the Lexapro. You're not taking it, right? And I'm like, no, she's like, good, just don't take it. And I actually just threw it away. She's like, it'll make you like non-creative, like numb. Like how my sister said I was feeling. It makes you like just not want to motivate to create. And that's the first, that's the only, that's why I never wanted to take anything in the first place because I didn't want to lose that scared. I was going to lose that genius about me. That's why probably a lot of people are scared. They don't want to like lose who they are, that genius about them that they are, their artistry, if it's going to like just, you know, blah, blah. So long story short. Okay. So then she's like, okay, I would like to see you again and, um, you know, do an intake. And so like, that's what you do when you meet someone. Like normally I think when you meet someone for the first time, I haven't done this a bunch, but you normally have like a 40 minute evaluation, right? I know when you see a psychiatrist, you see them for 20 minutes because they're checking in and then prescribing something or changing things up. But like when you first meet someone, I haven't done met too many people, but I remember having like a first proper intake and it's like the first session's always longer, but mine wasn't. So that's a note. When I met with her for the second time, which was yesterday, she's, uh, how are you? You know, a little chit chat and we only have 20 minutes. And then like, then there's like seven minutes left in the session. And it's like, you were just talking about like how great my hair is and how I look like Billie Eilish with my new white hair and like, you know, complimenting me and like things like that nature. And, and so she's like, oh, I want to do an assessment. And then I asked her about like, you know, okay, like, the, so are we gonna have a longer session? She's like, oh, no, they're 20 minute sessions. She's like, oh, now we have like seven minutes left. And I'm just like, and I'm just like, you know, moving forward, like next time, instead of like, like, I know it's important to like check in like, how are you? How, how are you and stuff? But can we like get to the assessment right away? Can we like get to the work? Okay, because I don't know how long this assessment is. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's gonna be yes, no, yes, no. And then she's like, you know, asking me these questions. She's like, oh, we'll probably do some now and then some next time. I'm like, and then I'm like, when's next time? She goes, oh, well, you know, I can see you in two weeks. So I'm frustrating and I'm like upset. I'm like, okay. And like, you're a new person. You're saying that the doctor who I trusted, who I liked, who comes from your same practice, misdiagnosed me, didn't give me a diagnosis, misdiagnosed me because she put me on the Lexapro that I should never been on that I didn't take for a long time. And I was frustrated and I feel rushed. And so I communicated, I feel, I wish it was recorded. I'm like, I feel rushed. You know, I'm like letting you know, like I feel angry. And she's like, why do you feel angry? And I'm like, I, because I feel rushed and I feel like, I'm not being properly cared for. And 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 I said to her, you know, I'm like kind of like this and like rolling my eyes a bit. And I'm just like, you know how the healthcare system is. And, you know, it's an uphill battle since 2014, blah, blah, blah. She took it so personal. And I think because of my education and how I was, she went from zero to hero. Like she was gaslighting me, right? First, she was like, 
complimenting me like like I'm like Billie Eilish, like, you know, my hair and like girl talk and stuff like that. And then she told me that she feels personally attacked. And I didn't brush her over. I, I addressed it. I said, how I, I'm sorry, like, wait, how do you feel personally attacked? Because of the way I was talking about the healthcare system, I didn't say you personally, I'm like, you're in the field. Like, I'm sure I'm not the first person you've heard from. And so now we're having this whole conversation instead of like getting to the intake here, we're having this whole conversation. And I feel like she's threatened by me. And then she had the audacity. She goes, I'm going to have to demand that you respect me and you speak to me this way. And I didn't say anything. And I'm like, because I'm a wordsmith, right? So it's like, there's a difference between demand and there's a shape shift of commanding, right? I should have, I, I can't live on shoulda, coulda, woulda, but I wish I would have said, it's not demanding something over someone you command it. That's the power. So she showed her cards of who she was. She was very flustered, very upset of, you know, what I was saying. I, she didn't like it at all. She made it all about her. I'm like, I'm communicating that I am frustrated and I'm upset and I'm angry. And this is why. And now instead of like helping, this is a distraction. And then she goes on to say, she's going to discharge me. She's going to meet again with me in two weeks to give me references. Wait a minute. You want to meet with me in two weeks. You don't want to see me. You're not the doctor for me. You want to meet me with me in two weeks to give me, you know, suggestions. I'm like, well, just save us both the time. Just email it to me. And I'm like, in two weeks from now, like, you know, what I mean? so then um, the they emailed me. They emailed me like how to go. And I like gave feedback. I'm like, this is horrible. Like, I feel like, you know, there's gaslighting going on. She's like complimenting me saying all these things. I'm telling her how I feel. Then she takes it personal. Like I'm attacking her. I said, I'm not attacking you. I'm like, I apologize for it, you know? And then we were communicating. I had to like, you know, kept like, I'm the patient here. And I feel like I'm trying, I'm like soothing her. So like, she feels okay. And I'm like, let's get to the intake care. Like, yes, no, yes, no. Like, let's get on with it. I just feel like, you know, she feels like many others where they just feel like they can't support with what I need, right? They can't help. And so they feel however they're feeling. But when you're in such a vulnerable position for, you know, mental wellness, for support in that area, when you think deep down, like, could there possibly be something wrong with me? And you're going and you're putting yourself out there in such a way for a doctor to treat someone that way was absolutely disgusting. So she broke up with me. Okay. So not only did my, um, you know, hairstylist break up with me, she broke up with me. And so then I'm like reflecting, like, what is going on? I'm like, yes, because the thing is, like, a lot of people, they get upset during breakups, but it's when like, energetic dynamics are ship chafing, and it's like, actually good. I definitely did a reflection, like, is it something that's going on? Well, that's why I'm going and checking things out. But is there something going on for me to be having these breakups? I'm, I'm being in such a way am I real and too authentic and too much for people okay if that's all good I'd rather just keep being that and I'm you know I'm old enough not to you know be the 15 year old self-inflicting pain on myself but I thought that was really interesting and um then uh, a day later they wrote back today oh the doctor gave you these re uh, recommendations which are nowhere near me by the way 15 miles away like that isn't close when you're in New York yeah something within like a half mile is near or in Manhattan, at least on the island. You know what I mean? Not like two hours away by train. Anyway, so long story short, I'm at square one. Uh, I'll have to like go through my insurance to find another area. And then what? Explain all of this to them. Like, I guess just start with the seizure story of when I was three. So they know I have that 
thing that happened from when I was a kid. Just the, you know, because, oh, when we were on the thing too, she goes, oh yeah, from your charts, I see you were taking all these medications. I'm like, what medications? I'm like, no, they were all prescribed for me, but I didn't take them. So it's like, it's difficult and it's challenging and it's it's sad. I, I just feel like it's an important topic to talk about. There's no resolution or solution for any of this, except for being a healthy communicator, because I'm struggling. Like everyone is struggling. We're all struggling in, in some way. And it's um, difficult. Um, you know, and like, I even wanted to, you know, Nicole, like I didn't, I, I, I canceled, I like I canceled, let's reschedule for next week. I had a call about the metaverse radio thingy. And then and then I'm, I, I voice memoed you, I called you, I was like, I'm just called you. I'm like, yo, I'm like, actually, like, I don't want to show up. But these are the times we need to show up, you know, to talk about these kind of things, like when you actually don't want to not when you have a public persona, or you're actually in good spirits, and everything's okay, it's okay to come talk in like these kind of situations. And that's what season five is all about, like Hollywood and NFTs and this, this day specifically for mental wellness and sass and beauty and self care and, and all that thing. So it really means a lot to me by being here and having this conversation and, and talking about these things, you know, no matter how long it takes for someone to get their story out, because I could probably could have cut a lot of it out. But sometimes those specific details are important for people to like, like understand and, and hear and, and just be able to relate. And I'm struggling. Like I wish I could meet someone like Dr. Joe Dispenza or Dr. Greg Braden. I wish I could like meet them and they could like I ever since I was a kid, like I always I always knew I was special. I always knew I was different. I always wanted just to like be like under like a scientific consultation just so they could like see the way I move and the things I do to like give me that approval that I'm okay. Give me that approval that I am unique, that I have superpowers, that those superpowers are actually my gift. Although millions of people won't understand and although we don't understand we know they're sacred and important in some ways one also through blockchain community and web3 there is a uh, a project astro emojis i was heavily involved with them january 2022 all through the year and they had the first like um, health and wellness metaverse festival they have uh doctors psychiatrists and therapists and they have like coffees and they they do it a couple times a week in twitter spaces and you could just go listen and learn or you could go up there anonymously and you can ask questions and one of the doctors i you know talked to a couple of times and he actually was diagnosed with bipolar and he's been on every single bipolar medicine known. I mean, it's probably the reason why he went into the profession that he did. He himself having bipolar. Um, and then he basically just uh, retired, only has like a couple clientele because he's like doing a book. And then also, you know, we were talking and he was saying, a couple things. One, you know, ketamine, that's like in Forbes and all the articles and how people are doing ketamine treatments now, you know, for bipolar, and they're doing, you know, different uh, holistic treatments, you know, I want to throw in the word psilocybin there. So do your own research. But he did tell me about where I think he went Columbia, Columbia, um, in New York, um, some of my friends have gone there, the famous Ivy League school, and he said they have a, a program. And so I contacted that program because he told me it was like for depression or something. And I they gave me a form. I filled it all out. They did a whole intake with me, like a proper intake that took, they called me and it took like two hours. They, I filled out a form. Then they set up a call with me like a week or two after a proper like thing. So anyone who's listening to this, like you can be anywhere and go through this experience. They did a proper intake with me. They couldn't help me. I wasn't depressed enough. They didn't think my choices were erratic enough. I wasn't bipolar enough. I wasn't sick enough. I wasn't, I wasn't 
in my bed every day. Like you said, I could just sleep for hours. I wasn't crying. I wasn't wanting to hurt myself. I wasn't I wasn't doing the things to the extremities of where they go and they help people. I'm just at that line of picking up the pieces and scraping it together there. So they, I was not a good fit for that place. There are probably many other places one could go to. But lastly, it's and as you know, it's hard to get help when you're struggling with those things. It's hard. Um, just just the emotional support sometimes is all we need from someone or someone to hold their hand to say, hey, let's let's set two hours and let's just go through the contacts. And I've done it for people. But when it's yourself, it's it's it is it's just difficult. Do you relate to that at all? Yeah, it is so difficult. And I mean, thank you for sharing and for being vulnerable with all of us, because you're so right. We need to be having more of these conversations conversations, not just like, oh, I experienced this. And now I'm on the other side, like we're all going through it all the time. So I just like want to applaud you for that. Because I think it's really important. Yeah, I appreciate you. Thank you. But I'm really sorry to hear that you had those experiences with the doctors. Because I mean, the first step asking for help can be so hard. And then when you go somewhere, and you feel like you're not even being heard, like, I can just imagine how that felt. Yeah, it's like I felt the one that just happened yesterday, I felt like she like, you know, like, uh, egged me on to get that information. I was very transparent. I'm like, I'm angry. Why are you angry? I feel frustrated. Like, you know, to explain everything all over again. So I'm I'm communicating like, you know, I need to work on patients. But that's what frustrates me, my patients, but that maybe some communication that helps that could help with a quote unquote medication by me being true with like what gets me frustrated, because my brain goes so fast. And then I go from zero to here. And for me, in my mind, it's already done, right? I'm communicating it, and then it's done. But it's like one to 100. But there's the two to 99 in between, right? And but I go so fast. So I'm communicating this, then she takes it personal, and then makes it all about her and twists it around. It's like, what is going on here? Like, it just it's it. it, I'm there for help. I'm asking for help. I'm saying I need help. And like, you're making it all about you that I personally attacked you. Like, isn't the issue your profession to like know how to deal with those kind of things? Like you acknowledge it, you mentioned it, you felt personally attacked. I acknowledge it immediately. And I said, I'm sorry, you feel that way. And then I'm like, how do you feel that way? And she said it. And then I apologize again, right? Like, and I'm like having to soothe, I feel like having to soothe her. Anyway, it's it's not a good fit. And it's good to know it's not a good fit in the beginning. So you can like move on. But I just felt it's a moment in time that happens. And it just we keep going. But they need to check in with her and the people that they're having. And just because you're going to a licensed therapist or, you know, place, no matter where they are in West Village or Beverly Hills, like it doesn't mean, you know, they're, the best people for you. So yeah, everyone who's still here. Wow, we're giving giveaways every single episode. And uh, even if you hear this from a year from now, we'll probably have more giveaways for you. So no matter um, when you hear this, you can enter in the giveaway. There's no dates. Um, It's transparent with gifts, whether we're in season and not in season. So um, please subscribe, like, share this with I want to say one person, but at least five people because a lot of people are going through depression and mental stuff right now. And so definitely check out Nicole's podcast, Anxious and Ambitious as well. Thank you for subscribing. And because of you, we're in the top 1.5% podcast out of almost 4 million podcasts where we're celebrating strong over here. Yay! Amazing. Um, Any last words of wisdom before popping out or like maybe a book or two you want to recommend that supported you through your mental growth journey? Yeah, I mean, one of the books that helped me the most was A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but one of the biggest breakthroughs that I had was if I can't live with myself, there must be a difference between me and myself. And I think it's really important that we make that distinction between like these thoughts, these emotions that I'm experiencing. They're not me. You're not broken 
Morgan. It's just something that you're experiencing. And yeah, that's that book really helped me with that. And also just knowing that there's holistic options. Like you mentioned those um, different supplements that you're taking. And something that I never knew about when I was young that was the most helpful for me really is hypnotherapy because it allows you to rewire the subconscious. So if you're listening and you're looking for help, like don't give up. There are so many different things out there that could help you. Potentially a medication would be the fit, but there may also be so many other things that could feel more supportive. Wow. I mean, okay. I have I have two thoughts on what you just said. I'll put it in the show notes. Marissa Peer, she's the number one leading hypnotherapist in the world. She lives in Europe, but like, I think like, um, Princess Diana was her client. She has all these celebrities, rock stars, blah, blah, blah. Hypnotherapy. If you don't know her, you got to know her. I have a gift for you. So when we're offline, remind me because I have a dope gift for you. Yeah. So let me know. It's all. Yeah. It's it's a gift from Marissa Pierre, actually. You're going to love it. Uh, yeah. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is because we didn't really tap into the schizophrenia part um, uh, too much. But in, in conclusion, Terrence McKenna talks about in, in the, the green book cover courses, the two day course that he did in New York on, on the audiobook. It says courses workshop, Terrence McKenna. It's, it's him. It's his voice on audio. But he talks about schizophrenia and he talks about like just being split and like just in the world and society being split so much that causes the schizophrenia, right? I'm not a doctor, just some words that he mentioned. Um, a book that really supported and helped me pass the extremities of everything's angel or devil or angel and demonic, angelic and demonic, or yes or no, or good or bad, or light to dark. You know, where do we go? The in-between, right? The space in between. So the passing the extremes, right? Where a lot of people have bipolar or that's the end diagnosis of the thing, but it's just the trigger trauma state that's underneath that thing that was never dealt with or known how to express those schizophrenic uh, things or like the bipolar. Bethany Webster has a book and you can listen. I'm an audio queen. Discovering the inner mother. And it takes you past the part, anything a doctor, anyone that's ever told you, anything that you've ever known, it takes you past the extremes. It takes you past the extremes. It's so amazing. And you get to this divine knowing knowingness, which I know you'll relate to because you mentioned you're spiritual and open in that way, where my soul deeply knew and I was connected to something. And it was very therapeutic and very healing in a way where it wasn't blaming and shaming my mom or the people on the planet. It was even more. It was even more of that. So it's discovering the inner mother. Bethany Webster is the author. So tune in. Scorpio's out. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Subscribe, like, leave a review, share with everyone. Ciao. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Kiriaki, over and out.